morning. Privilege to stand before you again today. Well, sort of stand. One-legged stand. I'll go ahead and get speak to the elephant in the room before we get started. Um, about the last six months, I've been dealing with uh, plantar fasciitis, a condition in the foot that, um, well, it hurts. <laughs> and I think in relation to that and probably just overuse and misuse, I felt a bone contusion on my heel. I didn't really know that bones could bruise, but they do. So the doctor said, well, you need to just take weight off of that and got me on crutches for a couple more weeks, well, two to eight weeks, I guess. We'll see how it does. But uh, one of the questions I've gotten is, well, what about your motorcycle? It doesn't really interfere with that at all. The boot doesn't. I mean, all i got to do is mash the brake with that one. But the, the, the challenge for me right now it's what I do with those stupid crutches. <laughs> I haven't figured that one out, but I said, well, put them upside down, put a little flag on them, and you're good to go. So, so we'll see what happens. The, um, just, got, just be sure to stay out of my way in the hallway. I'm a little bit dangerous. But the, the, the bonus for you, though, is that I'm not likely to go overtime when I'm standing here on one leg. <laughs> Janet was nice enough to bring me the stool, so I may resort to that. I do enjoy being before you, though, and sharing God's Word with you. But, you know, it can be a little intimidating to stand before a few hundred people and talk about money and finances. I mean, it's a touchy, sensitive, and even personal issue. and One we don't necessarily like to think about in our own private lives necessarily, let alone have a preacher stand up and preach about it. We just kind of like to leave that one alone. But you can relax. I won't be calling for a special offering at the end of service today, um, nor will I beat you up about tithing and tell you that God's going to make you poor if you don't tithe, although I will say that all of us should be tithing. But finance is a very important part of our lives. I mean, it kind of seems like it's the fulcrum that keeps everything in balance. Now, economy is a word that is familiar to all of us. Now, one man, one man commented, I'm a walking economy. My hairline is in recession. My waistline is a victim of inflation. And together they are putting me in a deep depression. One woman just doesn't get it, though. She went, back, she went to her bank to complain about an overdraft notice that she got. And she said to the teller, how can you say that I'm out of money, that there's no money in my account, when I've still got plenty of checks left in my checkbook? And then there's the one that, about the person who balanced her checkbook using the balance that she saw on her ATM receipt. Might have to think that one through, but it doesn't work. Let me tell you. Now, this redistribution of wealth nonsense is—I think—it's gone too far. I hear now that with the tax cuts that are set to expire at the end of this year, 
the new tax form we'll see next year will be simplified. It'll just have two lines on it. The first one you put, how much did you make last year? Second line says, send it in. And the way it's been going, you know, <laughs> you got to wonder about that one. But over the last few weeks, we have been looking at the issue of margin in our lives. Now today, we're going to be talking about margin in relation to finances. Now, it could be an uncomfortable experience for some because maybe there's little or no margin when it comes to your personal and your financial situations. Everybody wants margin. I mean, we want to kind of feel like we can live comfortably in life, not necessarily great wealth, but at least have some breathing room and have some margin in our life. But the demands of a typical lifestyle can challenge even the best salary. Monthly incomes can eat up, I mean, the monthly expenses can eat up the monthly incomes faster than you can say minimum payment. Now, some people find their sense of self-worth in their net worth, or uh, at least in the appearance of their net worth. Many people will try to, to find margin in their finances, but it, all, it seems like there's always something that happens or something that comes up that keeps them from turning that corner financially. If it's not an unexpected repair bill or a medical emergency that comes up, it's a temporary layoff or a pay cut or a complete loss of job. Then there's the debt, mountainous debt, overwhelming debt. I mean, it's become a cultural standard to get what you want and to get it now. And after all, you can pay for it later over time, lots of time, maybe even a lifetime. Maybe there ought to be more stores with a sign that appeared in one that said, um, it advertised their easy credit plan. 100% down and 0% monthly. Now, it's no secret that our country's financial crisis and, re and, re and the recession that we are in right now came as a result of debt. Now, it's not just the national debt, which is beyond absurd, and I don't know how that one's going to be fixed. But uh, it mainly was through personal debt. Now, some politicians decided that home ownership could be a new entitlement. They coerced and they strong-armed lending institutions into writing mortgage loans for people who, from the very get-go, were obviously unable to sustain that kind of a debt over the long term. And when they couldn't keep up with the payments, the foreclosures began, and it all started coming down like the house of cards that it was. And we all know the rest of the story. I mean, we are living with the realities of it even now. Even if you're not directly impacted by foreclosure or loss of job, you are still somehow, in some way, by this recession that we are going through. 
A debt is really a noose around the neck of those uh, of the borrower. Sooner or later, that noose tightens, tightens until finally it chokes out financial health and well-being of individuals and families. Debt is also the sworn enemy of financial margin. It'll gobble up the margin, huge gulps, and it'll end up leaving us living just right at the edge. Paul uh, reminds us in Romans 13, chapter 8, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. Larry Burkett in his book, Major Purchases, said, God doesn't prohibit borrowing, but he certainly discourages it. In fact, every biblical reference to it is negative. Now, why would God discourage borrowing and debt? How, how are we supposed to get things like a home and big things that we want and need? Well, Proverbs 22.7 explains, The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. Now, debt's an easy trap to fall into. It starts out getting a loan to get a car, and then a house, and then furnishings for the house, and then we need to get items that will, recreational items that will get us out of the house, and then it can just snowball from there. College graduates are entering the workforce, or at least attempting to enter the workforce, with more than $100,000 of educational loan debt. Credit cards and salesmen touting low monthly payments are shovels that will dig the hole even deeper. We've had salesmen try to sell us something. I say, well, how much is it? Well, it's only so much a month. But no, that's not what I ask. How much is it? What is the total cost? See, they want to talk about the monthly payments, lower number, and you can handle $128 a month. They don't want to tell you about fifteen, twenty thousand dollars handle $128 a month. See, they like to try to make it sound easy. The other day I saw an ad in the newspaper, a furniture um, store in town, that's 50% off, 0% financing for 50 months. Big, huge print. I could hold it up here and you'd read it from where you sit. But on the back, a little tiny print that need my glasses and really get down there, it says that it's 50% off the compare-to price, <laughs> which that could be arbitrary, and the 0%, or the 0% for the 50 months, but it also says the interest begins to accrue from the day of purchase at 24.7% interest. Well, that's fine as long as you make that monthly a minimum payment each month, there's no interest. But if you go that 51st month and forget to pay the whole entire thing off, then you are liable for the entire accrued interest of the past four years. So you can see how easy it is for people to just get overwhelmed with debt. Before we know it, our financial obligations consume more than our household income, and maybe then some, 
and there just simply is no margin. There's no wiggle room, and there's and, and, and an unforeseen expense can come up, and it can spell disaster. Well, today's passage from Luke reminds me of the commercials that we hear so often about the debt relief. I'm sure you've seen them. They offer, and I'm sure it's for a fee, that they will intercede for you with the lender and negotiate a um, reduced amount that you can handle. Others will turn to bankruptcy to get out of debt, but they'll destroy their credit rating in the process. Say, well, what big deal about a credit rating if I'm going to try to get out of debt? For example, go to buy insurance. But it, we, want, we all like the cheapest rate on insurance, don't we? The commercials that find the cheapest rate. But you know, when you're in that application, they take your Social Security number and they look at your credit rating. If you have a poor credit rating, you're going to be paying higher rates even on your insurance. Because they figure, they reason, have a poor credit rating, then you're going to be a poor risk. So those kind of things are important. But people think they can just walk away from those debts. And I think that though there are some serious ethical issues involved in being able to walk away from a debt, especially when Paul reminded us to let no debt remain outstanding. But that's an issue for another sermon. Today, we want to focus on how do we attain and maintain margin in our finances. First, we need to look at the real issue. Every issue, I believe, is a spiritual issue in disguise. Now, we are motivated by our emotions. Think about it. The biggest motivators that we have are our emotions. And they also reflect spiritual issues that we struggle with. Fear, anger, jealousy, greed, These and more are triggers that will impact our financial decisions. Gloria Steinem said, we can tell our values by looking at our checkbook stubs. I would add credit card statements as well. Our personal finances are very personal, and we generally don't like other people in our business. But I think that if you gave unfettered access to your bank and your credit card statements, a reviewer could get a pretty good picture of your priorities, maybe even your finances. Now, Jesus was right on when he said, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, my years as a pastor have taught me two things about people. One is people will do the things that they really want to do. Secondly, they will spend their money on what is most important. Now, everything financial keeps coming back to this basic notion that it really is a spiritual issue. Again, Jesus lays it out perfectly for us in Matthew 6.33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added to you as well. Now, he has given us the plan for margin, for peace and contentment in our lives, and maybe even happiness. 
to all margins, personal, family, time, and especially in finances, really need to fall within this context. All margins ought to first honor God. But so often we we get it backwards and get things turned upside down. We seek after all these other things in our lives and when the margins are filled up, we don't even have enough left over with which to honor God. Tithing? Giving God 10%? Are you crazy? I can't even pay my bills this month. You're asking me to give money away? Well, a better question may be, well, whose money is it? After, God, oh, after all, God only asks for 10%. He lets us keep 90%. What we do with the 90%, I believe, really defines our stewardship of what He has given to us. Now, in, in, dealing, or in dealing with money, settling this issue of lordship, I think, is, is really a mandatory first step. Because otherwise, you'll head off in a wrong direction and you'll get mired down in, in, in spiritual problems, issues. Now, if your motivation for restoring financial margin in your life is really based in pride or wealth, meeting security needs, and it bypasses the Heavenly Father, well, then you're really not going to. And we have to establish a financial margin in our lives that honors God first, not pushing Him out. And the next step to establishing or restoring financial margin is simply make a plan. And it would be foolish to set out on a journey and not have a plan. You've got to know the route you travel and the means that you're going to get there and at least have some idea of some of the details of that trip. Now, any good financial planner is going to tell you that to get your finances under control, if you're going to have margin in your life, then you've got to make a plan. First step in your plan is to set your margin goals. Of course, as I've said, the first of those is your giving percent. You need to decide and commit in your own heart, well, what percentage of what I make am I going to give to God? And for some who never had the thought of this concept of tithing before, and the word tithe really means 10%. I've never thought of tithing before. Start with five with a commitment that you're going to work up to that. But at least set a goal what you're going to be giving to God. And the other is it making a savings percentage. Some financial planners will, will say that it's um, it'd be good to have at least two months of income stashed away. That way that gives you a little bit of breathing room if car needs new tires or kid gets sick and got a bill or something. You know, you've got some kind of margin to work with. And then you identify your annual available income. Write down your annual household income minus your giving percentage goal, your debt payments, taxes, obligations, the things that you know, we have to pay. I mean, really, how can you spend that which is 
not yours. And that's going to give you then your available income. Third, determine your consumable income. That's your available income minus your savings goal percentage, and that's going to leave you then with your consumable income. And then determine your monthly consumable income. And you simply just divide that figure by 12. That gives you the amount that you're going to have each month to spend on food and clothing and gasoline and everything else that you and your family need in order to get by. Make a list of these. Prioritize them. What is the most important on down? And then assign a dollar amount to what you expect you're going to spend on those each month. Then whatever's left over from these necessities will be your discretionary that's what you have to spend on those things that you want. Some have issue, have trouble discerning between wants and needs. Oh, I need this. I need it. But in reality, the want. We've got to discern between those. And then develop a budget so that you can keep track of where your money is going. Keep an eye on your spending and see where it gets out of hand. Now, these are simple basic steps to get you on the road to financial freedom and margin in your life. And I, I recommend that you attend one of our Financial Peace University sessions that we offer two or three times a year. And <coughs> there you'll get more detail and direction on how to really make this work for you and get a handle on your financial issues. And then third, once you have a plan, you've got to work the plan. Now, if you're heavily in debt, you've got to make a priority of paying off that debt. It could mean a lot of sacrifice and doing without a lot of wanted things, but as long as that debt is hanging over you, it's a cruel master and it will control your life. Now, making minimum payments will take you years, years and years to pay it off. It probably will more than double the original loan amount. You have to be aggressive with payments and lower that principle. Diane and I moved to Erie in 1998. We bought our first home, living in parsonages up to that point. I remember on the day of closing, our attorney was saying, now he's showing us the amortization table, making sure that we understood it. And he said, now I want you to understand that for every extra payment that you make up here, you're going to take off in. And so we made that commitment to making an extra payment each month that we would apply then to the principal. And then 10 years later, and in 2008, we were able to pay off that mortgage. But you have to be aggressive at it, and you have to be committed to it. Now, if you think nobody cares if you're alive, nobody knows you're around, just miss a couple of credit card payments. Your phone will start to ring. <laughs> but it is possible, though, to use credit cards to your advantage. But credit cards are a dangerous game to play. They're easy to get. They're easy to use. But they're terribly hard to pay off. Credit cards give a perception of prosperity. But the reality, though, can very quickly become impoverishment. They draw life from our financial margin. They become more and more powerful 
as we sink deeper and deeper into debt. And before long, we'll find ourselves looking up from a deep hole surrounded by possessions that we really don't own. Now, we can be poor because of the things we have, suggests William T. Snyder. In debt and committed to the hilt, living from one paycheck to the next means a person has no room to wiggle. That is no margin. No wiggle room, no margin. Now, you might say, well, I'll take on another job, make more money, so then we can make more payments. Well, yeah, I suppose you could, and that would pay on the debt. But then you've got to ask yourself, well, what that would that then do to the other margins in your life? Time, relationships, and especially your marriage. How can you really strengthen your marriage? Did you know that a major cause of, cause of divorce today is money, finance? I think the leading cause is area of communication, but right up there near the top is the issue of money. Now, maybe it would be a better idea, though, to sell the boat or the expensive car or whatever it is that's keeping you enslaved as a debtor. Now, I drive through some of these really nice neighborhoods around here. I see three and four hundred thousand plus dollar homes, and sitting in some of those homes are thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollar automobile. And I'm thinking that tells me that either there's an awful lot of income in that house or there's an awful lot of debt. Now financial planners advise against assuming a mortgage cost of more than forty percent of your spendable income. Now that's not a mortgage payment of 40% of your income. First of all, that's a maximum. It's desirable to be less than that percentage, but that also that include, that means your mortgage payment, your taxes, insurance, utilities, repairs. In other words, the cost of your home ownership, home ownership should not exceed more than 40% of your income. Less is better. But if you're in debt, work hard to get out of debt. If you are not in debt, work hard to stay out of debt. Finally, we have to develop and maintain the right attitude toward money and wealth. Money, the yuppie maxim goes, is life's report card. Our culture is so focused on earning money, having money, and spending money that we really can think of little else. And we have the foolish notion that our sense of self-worth and our status are based in the kind of house that we live in, the model of car that we drive, and the style of clothes that we wear. Our credit card statements may outweigh our bank statements, but we can certainly look like we are on the top of the world. Now, some fool on the other side of the world may dictate that purple jeans and blue sneakers are the latest fashion trend. And, of course, their foolish followers will rush out 
and buy them. But some people will pay $100 or, or more for sports shoes that cost $4 to produce in a Chinese sweatshop. But they just have to have that swoosh or that name on the side of them. Even in the church, many have believed that insidious message of the so-called prosperity gospel teaches that God wants us wealthy and blessed with material possessions. Now, of course, these purveyors of this perverted gospel tell you that your path to God's blessing of wealth is through you sending them your money. Nothing in Scripture and in the chosen lifestyle of Christ could be clearer. Wealth is not a primary objective of the spiritual life. Going back to Matthew chapter 6, we are reminded by Jesus, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, but where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And Paul, in writing to the Romans, adds his strongest terms in the first letter to excuse me, I didn't say I said Romans, I meant his first letter to Timothy. He said, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness. Over and over, Scripture warns us to distrust money because once we have given it our allegiance, it becomes cruel master. Now note that Paul did not say that money is the root of all evil. I mean, we hear that, this quote, many times. You will not find that statement in the Bible. He said, the love of money leads to all kinds of evil. Now, please don't misunderstand me. I am not saying that wealth is bad or that it is bad to be wealthy. There are many wealthy people who have done a lot of good for the kingdom of God. There are a lot of people who have been blessed with great wealth, who have understood the the concept of good stewardship, and the recognition that that all really belongs to God, and they have been very generous with their giving to make it possible to change a lot of lives. What I am saying is that when the pursuit of wealth becomes the goal of our lives, when that pursuit crowds out any margin in our lives and it and it pushes God out of the center, then we have taken a seriously. Many will pray prayer for release from the power of poverty. 
But maybe some need to pray a prayer for release from the power of wealth. Enough wisdom and discipline, money, and glorify God. It can be a great blessing to men. But remember, we are not owners. We are stewards of God's money. Financial margin is a byproduct of good stewardship. So it really all comes down to a decision. Which master will I serve?